Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So hello there guys and welcome along to another live DNF1 podcast and we are reviewing the French Grand Prix. I hope you're well. Apologies for the delay in getting this going. We did plan to have this going at 7pm UK time. We ran into a few technical snags so we hope and uh, we're obviously grateful that you guys could stick around and wait for us to get going but we are ready now and we're ready to get on with this race review and joining me on this podcast, we have Courtney Pine and Lee Wallington, the DNF1 crew, all here in attendance. Lads, how are we doing? Courtney, let's start with you first. You okay? Yeah, I'm doing well. Could be worse. Uh, slightly disappointed with, with the outcome of the race, but plenty to talk about, which makes our lives a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, plenty of talking points to get on with. And uh, Lee, how are you doing this evening? You're good? Yeah, I'm great. I'm just... Uh... I really enjoyed the race and I'm looking forward to being able to talk about it today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, guys, just to let you know that uh, in the qualifying stream that we had yesterday, there were a few issues with some of the frames dropping in that. So hopefully everything is okay. Please do let me know, guys, of course, if you are running into any problems or if the stream's not working properly, let me know in the chat so that uh, I'm aware of what's going on. I can try and sort that out as best as I can. Unfortunately, these things can happen. Unfortunately, they always seem to be happening to me in particular when I'm trying to run this. So uh, nonetheless, we'll sort of push through and see how we can mitigate this as best we can. But nonetheless, of course, guys, we should be talking about the race. And first things first, for the French Grand Prix, we had a lot of excitement last season owing to the battle between Max Verstappen and Sir Lewis Hamilton. We got a lot of action today, but all for different reasons. And once again, an opportunity goes begging for Ferrari. An opportunity goes begging for Charles Leclerc after his huge crash in the middle of the Grand Prix, which all but seems to put him out of this title race. As once again, Max Verstappen, the world champion, capitalizes on misfortune and mistakes of his rivals to win the French Grand Prix for the second year in a row. 
And coming to you first, Courtney, on this one, obviously, you know, a great job from Max Verstappen to capitalise on his rival's misfortune. But what can we say, really? It seems to be, once again, despite Ferrari seemingly making a bit of a comeback and Charles Leclerc as well in particular, it's more points gone begging. Another, uh, how can I put this, another myriad of errors from the Ferrari team and their drivers. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head with the fun now, Adam. Um, it's a Ferrari disaster class, I think. Yet another Ferrari disaster class. And you know what? As a fan of the sport, it's a real shame because we could have had a great battle this season between two of the greatest talents of this coming generation that could have like really set the scene for the coming years. But we've been robbed of that, not because Ferrari don't, don't have the pace. It's simply because they're not able to run the car reliably. and they're just making silly errors that if you want to be winning a world championship, you really need to be getting on point. And we saw, you know, we saw an error from Charles Leclerc. Was it fully down to him? Was there a slight issue with the car? I don't think we'll fully know the answer to that, but the fans have been robbed of a really good championship battle. Yes, I'm sure we'll be getting some good races towards the end of the season, but in terms of a championship battle, Ferrari have the pace but they just did not been run properly or, or well enough to give us the battles that the fans want to see. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, it, it just, it's crazy to think that we're at this point of the season now where, as we said already, Ferrari were starting to make a bit of a comeback. It did seem for all the while that, you know, that they'd be able to recover a little bit, perhaps go into the summer break with the lead in both championships being a little bit smaller than what they have been. But once again, as, as I was saying already, it just seems that Ferrari are the architects of their own downfall right now. I mean, Lee, should we already be potentially writing this championship off right now? It does seem that it's very much advantage Max Verstappen and Red Bull. It is very much advantage Max Verstappen and Red Bull, but I think it's too early to write off the championship as a Red Bull runaway. I think for me, it all relies on the depending technical directive we're going to see after some break in Spa. If uh, Red Bull lose pace or Ferrari lose pace or Mercedes get helped by the technical directive because the other two teams fall back. Um, but it's more about how that impacts the, the raceability and obviously the closeness of the racing for the championship. And it, if all of a sudden Max stops winning and Charles starts winning after summer break reliably and Mercedes are in the mix because it's obviously brought them back and all of a sudden, Charles takes 10 points um, out of Max because Mercedes are in the, in the middle. The championship's not over. If if Max wins Spa, wins Monza, then I would say, yeah, this, this is Red Bull's... Uh, I'm going to wrap up for several races early. So it's it's too early to say, but it's very close to the point of calling this a, as a, an over championship. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I completely agree with you. And guys, let me know your thoughts in the chat if you are watching this podcast live. Let me know your thoughts on the French Grand Prix and some of the talking points that we engage in throughout this episode. And of course, we will read out some of the best ones on the show and of course, react to them as well. But looking into the race a little bit more, obviously the pace was there for Ferrari this weekend. And one thing that we can say the last few races is we sort of wondered if Red Bull had stolen a march on Ferrari, if these new upgrades that they put on their card really given them the edge. It seems that Ferrari have been able to peg them back in the last couple of races, you know, trying to capitalise on this good form. And 
you know, when, when all is said and done, I think that's really all you can ask for in a championship is for the development race, you know, to not really separate the leading teams. But once again, it just feels like, you know, you're in a position like Ferrari you're in right now where Charles Leclerc gets on pole position. He looks fast in the opening stint of the race. Obviously, he was under a lot of pressure for Max Verstappen and managed it. And then, of course, that, that crash happens and it kind of denies the fans the opportunity of seeing how this race played out. I mean, did that sort of weigh on your minds, guys, over this one? Because for me, as, as disappointed as I was to see Charles Leclerc crash out, part of me was thinking, that's frustrating because we were at a critical yeah. point in this race where the strategy was starting to play out. Red Bull went a bit earlier. They wanted to undercut Ferrari. Ferrari were taking a gamble. Leclerc would have pitted and come out behind Max because of the undercut. But we, we would have been a good cat and mouse chase to see between the two guys to see how their strategies would have played out in the same way they did in Austria. But unfortunately, we were denied that. Well, yeah, I think there's, there's two things that we can take from what happened today. If we're just talking, you know, pure stats here, you know, if Charles Leclerc had gone and won this race today, we wouldn't have been looking at a 63-point gap. We'd have been looking at being half of that. And we'd have had a much closer championship. And... Ferrari would have been starting to finally have some kind of run of form with which is actually a good car in terms of raw pace. I do believe right now that Ferrari have a slim pace advantage over Red Bull. Certainly enough for Charles Leclerc to hold back Max Verstappen. Before we had that crash, we you know, I was saying it to you guys, you were fully agreeing because you've seen it for yourselves. It was a great measured drive by Charles Leclerc. He, you know, the Red Bull had DRS and a straight a straight line speed advantage based on their setup. But Leclerc was able to drive the car, you know, in the twisty sections of the of the circuit perfectly well to keep the Red Bull behind. If anything, the Red Bulls were starting both were starting to struggle on their tires to the point where we had um the the race defining uh incident with Charles Leclerc. But following on from the point that you made, Lee, about, you know, with, with Mercedes catching up, I completely and utterly agree, um, agree that we're going to have bigger point swings, which hypothetically would give us a chance of having a championship back. But for me, as, as a neutral fan, obviously I don't have anything to Ferrari or Red Bull, so the best thing I want to see is good racing. I just think... We're not going to sit because I simply don't trust Ferrari. I think that's what it comes down to. I simply don't trust them to get that car literally over line. How many times this season have we been seeing things been going smoothly for Ferrari and all of a sudden there's a Ferrari in the wall or there's a Ferrari on fire or there's a Ferrari rolling backwards because this has a brake issue and the drivers had to jump out. At times it's farcical and this is a real opportunity for Ferrari to win their first championship since 2008. And they're absolutely throwing it away. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on this one, Courtney. And I, I just can't get my head around this with Ferrari because, you know, they've built a very, very good car. Ultimately, it stood the test of that. And it's, you could argue, it's very much one of the easiest, almost comfortable cars to drive. It's very much a plug and play car, really. You don't have to adjust too much to set it up properly. It's going to be fast everywhere that it goes. And you've got two perfectly capable drivers in there. But for whatever reason, it just cannot come together, whether it's reliability issues or strategy problems or their drivers making mistakes, as we saw today. It just cannot seem to go together. On the other side of the garage, you have Red Bull, who traditionally are one of the best teams in terms of strategy, if not the best. They always seem to build a good car no matter what happens. And they always have at least one top world-class driver. 
and another good one alongside him. And in this case, Red Bull haven't really been tested at all at the moment. Like the Ferrari are pushing them for performance, but when it comes to the race, you almost, again, we joke about this, but you almost have to ask the question with Ferraris, how long is it going to be before that car blows up or a driver makes a mistake? Um, Lee, what are your thoughts? Well, firstly, another way of looking at Courtney's point is you can trust Ferrari to make a mistake or um, <laughs> throw away points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's what you can guarantee. See, they're, they're reliable on that, uh, which is a shame <laughs> to say. Um, it's probably one of the only bits of reliability they have so far this year. Um, but it's yeah, it's just with the, on your point, it's, it's just a shame that for whatever reason that the Ferrari can't get it together because as Courtney alluded to, this is their year. Mercedes and Rebel had such a close championship last year. Ferrari spent probably a lot of their resourcing and time last year putting into this year's car. We can see how good the car is. It's it's there. And they should have just cakewalked this season. And unfortunately, it's not going that way. Um, not that anyone wants a uh, completely United domination. But it should have been Ferrari to dominate. Uh-huh. Um and it's just not going that way. It's it's just an, an utter shame, not as a Ferrari fan, because I'm not, but to see them failing um, from team errors or mechanical issues or driver errors, they're going to miss this point uh, opportunity and they may not get another opportunity mm-hmm. until the new rule change um, in five years or so. So it's yeah, it's just a shame to see. Yeah, Adam, uh, can yeah. I just quickly follow on, mate? Um, like going back a couple of years, you know, there was a change of management at Ferrari, and the biggest problem Ferrari were facing, and you know, we discussed this on podcasts um, as far back as when Sebastian Vettel announced he was going to leave, because there was all these changes in management. And one of the biggest problems that Ferrari had historically were the way that it was managed. There was this pressure cooker environment, you know, that acts people so quickly. But with this change of management, they actually come up with a long-term plan to sort of like calm down the the, the pressure from the fan base because Ferrari have such a passionate fan, fan base. If things start, if they don't win a couple of races, there's bedlam within the fan base. And with the change of management, they're saying, look, give us a couple of years. This is a long-term project. Take the short-term pain for long-term gain. That was a strategy. And I was, I was seriously impressed by that. There was a, there was a change in mindset. I thought, no, this could really work. I was saying for, for two years, watch out Ferrari, watch out for Ferrari in 2022. We come to 2022, they come out the blocks fast. So I'm like, here we go. Ferrari, I finally got a race winning car. But I've always said, are oh, they going to be able to do it over the course of a season? And it's like the, the, the same old gremlins that are still within that team, like the, the banner era Ferrari that I've always called them. It's still there. It's not quite the same as it used to be. But the laughable judgment and the you know the memes that are made from the team with the decisions that they make, they are still there and it's messing up their championship battle massively. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that a lot. There's a lot of investment in this season from Ferrari over the last few years. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a team, as you mentioned, Courtney, that haven't won a world championship since 2008. They haven't won a driver's championship since 2007. Uh, for some F1 fans, that's an incredibly long time. You know, yours truly would certainly attest to that. Um, and... It's one of those right now where fans will become increasingly impatient. Senior management will become increasingly impatient. And then, even though this is a team that feels like they've found a new lease of life, they're a young team again that uh, aren't adopting the old infamous blame culture that Ferrari have often been associated with in the past. 
you almost feel like certain hallmarks of that will creep back in if results like this will continue to repeat themselves, especially in a scenario where we may see Red Bull steal a march on them and maybe even Mercedes, who right now seem to be punching well above their weight right now in terms of what they should be capable of. And yet, you know, they're more of a threat to Ferrari right now than what Red Bull are at the moment. Red Bull seem to be gone, uh, gone away from them. So... It's certainly something that they need to be concerned about and trying to progress moving forward. Just seeing some of the comments now, because I think we're having some issues with the stream to start with, but it seems to have sorted itself out, fortunately. So thank goodness for that. Hopefully it stays that way. Uh, got a few comments in here. Uh, David Doherty saying, hi, guys. Top F1 fans. Thank you, David, for the kind words. Glad to have you on board. Uh, Roy, interesting comment from Roy here that I want to share with you guys and get your thoughts on this. Um, this is kind of towards the Charles Leclerc incident, the crash itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ferrari were telling Leclerc that the harder tyres on the radio before his crash were about two tenths of a second slower than expected and they were overheating quite quickly. Uh, quickly. That's right, yeah. And I'm guessing this is based on what they found out with signs when he had his opening stint because he started on the harder tyres. It might have forced them to try and go a little bit longer on this strategy to try and think that Verstappen will struggle on the harder tyres. We can get at him later on and overtake him because Ferrari were much faster in the corner. So they thought, you know, and they can overtake the Red Bulls now. They seem to be fast enough. But Roy made a good comment on here and he asks, did Ferrari push Charles for a fast in-lap just before his pit stop? Now, we don't know if that was the case because we're not privy to the timing screams in the lap. But I wouldn't be surprised if they really, really want... And they, said to, they did say to push at the time. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you reckon the error was caused by Charles pushing a bit too hard in the same way perhaps Sebastian Vettel did in Germany 2018? Look, it's certainly a possibility. You know, first of all, you know, this is a... Considering the team that we're talking about, we've been seeing these kind of, you know, these these small elements in an F1 race weekend that can make a massive difference that Ferrari seem to struggle with. And I can even use another example to back that up. We saw towards the end of the uh, the race when you had uh, Carlos Sainz challenging... Um, Sergio Perez, they were they were talking to Carlos Sainz down the radio as he was going for a tricky overtake, and that could have that could have been another disaster for Ferrari. That could have ended in a crash. So it's those kind of things where it's it's a weird thing to say about a top Formula One team, but some of the things they're doing over a race weekend it's almost amateurish. I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, were Ferrari pushing Charles too hard on the in-lap or should they have just reacted immediately to the to the undercut from Verstappen? Well, firstly, I think as we've seen in the last couple of years, the undercut is really powerful uh, in Paul Ricard. And it's as soon as you've been undercut, unless, um, unless you obviously have a big enough time difference, there's no point trying to defend it because you're already going to come out um, behind. So you have to adapt your strategy and, either, and go long or change the amount of pit stops as we've seen in previous years. So they could have been going long and it could have, they could have been a, obviously a request to obviously push hard for an in-lap, but obviously we may never find the truth. There was, if there was an issue with the throttle, which could have been the deciding factor. Um, obviously Red Bull seemed to think it was throttle related and not um, an actual mistake from Charles, even though Charles admitted it. So we may never know that. Um, but it's definitely a possibility that they wanted him to push for that in-lap. So, um, yeah, it's definitely within the re- realistic reason. Yeah, I mean, I I, I understand that. Um, I think Red Bull were under the opinion that the threat was blocked. So I remember in the cool-down room, I think the uh, 
the gentleman right. that, that were part of the team yeah. that did say to a, to the two Mercedes guys, actually, when they were t- looking at Leclerc's incident, saying that his throt- throttle was blocked. Because um, he had some issues like that in Austria. He was complaining about that in, in free practice this weekend. And it's possible. Maybe Ferrari will come out with more information. But it did seem like Charles Leclerc owned this incident. I think someone was saying as well afterwards that the reason why that radio transmission came out is because Charles Leclerc was looking to reverse out of it, out of the crash yeah. and, at Le Bousset. And um, I think he was told on the radio that the throttle was stuck. So obviously there's nothing he could do about it. Couldn't find a reverse gear and it kind of wrecked his chances to recover that. Because of course, if they could have put a new front wing on that car and some new tyres, maybe he would have been a factor later in the race. We don't know. But um, on the subject of Leclerc, before we move on to signs, um, he hasn't made many mistakes this season. You can only count this one and the one in Imola that I can That's think right. of real mistakes in him. And, you know, he had some really interesting comments and it was very hard on himself. I know Charles Leclerc mentally has been a lot better in terms of reflect, being reflective on his own performance. But uh, I'm just going to try and pull out the comment that uh, Leclerc said. And uh, it was based on asking if he's still in this title fight. And he basically said, look, we'll count at the end if we are missing only 20 or 30 points, I will know that I lost it and where I lost it and it will be on me between Imola and here. If I keep driving like that, I don't deserve to win this world championship, even though I've been driving at the best level of my career so far. And part of me kind of looks at that and thinks, well, to be fair, Charles, I feel like you're being a little bit too harsh on yourself. Um, But at the same time, I can totally understand where he's coming from, that if you win world championships, you cannot afford to make those mistakes, especially in a year where your team's making strategy mistakes and the car's not reliable at every race weekend. And he's lost a lot of points on that now to a point where you feel like, would he still be winning this world championship without all of that? I don't know. Maybe. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? Should should Charles Leclerc accept that he has been a big part of his misfortunes this season? Or do you feel that perhaps he's being too harsh on himself here? Because I, I think he's been a bit harsh, quite frankly. No, I agree. I do think he's been harsh. Um, but uh, if yeah, I, I, I still believe the majority of it does come down to the team. You know, like going back to the comment that, um, that Roy made, you know, that, that sort of like, it seems like there was almost like, not panic, it was just like a, a, a slight concern in the Ferrari, in the background at Ferrari about Red Bull, when actually Ferrari should have, you know, confidence in themselves and Charles, that even if Max Verstappen does get ahead, they have the pace and the ability to get back ahead of the Red Bull because they've had the pace recently. And, and for me, it just goes back to that mentality where within that team, are they ready to challenge for a championship? Do they have that that faith, that that self belief, that they can challenge Red Bull over the, the the course of a season? Because for me, they have the pace to do it, but they're tripping up themselves with their own mentality almost. Yeah, it, it does seem that way. Um, but, but let me know your guys' thoughts in the comments on this. Do you think Charles Leclerc has been a bit too harsh on himself, or do you feel that, um, as Benotto said, you know there have been other reasons why points have been lost this year? It's not just been on Charles' collective effort. So let us know your thoughts in the comments. Um, Robert Anderson obviously commented on this whilst we were talking about this. Hi, Robert. Hope you're well. He said, on today's evidence, well, it confirms his previous view, that Mercedes has the strongest driver partnership on the grid. Now, a lot of people myself included, wanted to wait, really, to give George Russell time to bed in before I could have an opinion on this. 
But I can't help but feel that Robert's probably got a very good point here, guys. What do you, what do you think? Do Mercedes, mm-hmm. based on what we saw today and, and some other races, that uh, Mercedes do have the strongest driver partnership on the grid? Do you know, Adam, it, uh, to back up that point, we had a discussion uh, before we come on and we asked we asked ourselves, if the Mercedes team and that driver pairing were to have that Ferrari car, they would probably be level Red Bull, if not ahead. And it just comes down to the fact you look at Mercedes, not only do they have the team making, you know, the right strategy calls the you know, they got the small things right to make a race we can run smoothly. They've also got the driver pairing in George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, because if Lewis Hamilton was to have an off weekend, you can be certain that George Russell will be there to take the points off Max Verstappen or to minimise the deficit made in a tight weekend between Mercedes and Red Bull. So certainly, for me, it excites me that if the technical directive has an effect where it benefits Mercedes... Mercedes could well be taking a lot of points, and it goes back to the point that Lee made. You know, you could have a you could have a point. You could have races where, you know, Charles Leclerc finishes first, and then you could have George Russell and Lewis Hamilton second and third because of how strong they are. The, the drivers are in relation to the car. So Mercedes, strangely enough, people have been complaining about Mercedes. You know, making the races boring over the last few years. Right now, I think I trust Mercedes more than Ferrari to give us entertaining races towards the end of the season. I suppose it all comes down to what engine you have in the back of that Ferrari. Do you stick with a Ferrari <laughs> engine or do you put the Mercedes on it? Assuming that, you know, you didn't have to make adjustments for uh, fittings or size or anything like that. But it's certainly an interesting thought. And I, and I feel like that is where Ferrari are lacking compared to Red Bull and Mercedes in those regards. You know, you do need to have the team working on all cylinders. The drivers can't afford to make mistakes. And uh, you do need that reliability as well, which at the moment, Mercedes... Those cars are bulletproof, all jokes aside, you know, right now they are the ones that are doing the business in reliability terms anyway. So, uh, but we'll have to move on to Carlos Sainz now. And uh, I think I'm going to touch on a few of these briefly, but I mean, what a crazy race he had this week. I mean, what a crazy weekend for Carlos Sainz. I mean, you could argue that if it wasn't for his engine penalties, he probably had the pace to win this Grand Prix this weekend. Um, I mean, qualifying, he looked very, very quick. He looked good in free practice. He was good on the long runs. He did a great job to help Charles Leclerc get on pole position. If anything, he could have even got pole himself if he really wanted to. And throughout the race, he was coming through the back of the field, quite measured in the opening stint. You know, didn't exactly rush forward off the start in the same way Kevin Magnussen did, because that guy was a man on a mission. He went up to 12th after the first lap or mm-hmm. something crazy like that. But signs a lot more measured in this opening stint. And in a way, his race was kind of bogged down by the fact that his teammate caused that crash because the safety car came out and it came way too soon for signs. I think it would have come out around 10 laps or so after when the medium runners had come in. I think he'd have been rubbing his hands at the opportunity of trying to get on the podium or maybe even more. As it were, obviously he was in that fight owing to a few issues afterwards. He had very, very good pace, ran well on the mediums, but once again, the old conundrum with the Ferrari uh, Ferrariing themselves, if you like, being the architects of their own downfall, the slow pit stop that they had went during the safety car period, the unsafe release, which led to a five-second penalty for signs, which uh, I think it was, um, what was his name, Riccardo Adami, um, Carlos Sainz's race engineer, also Seb Vettel's race engineer at Ferrari at the same time as well, um, when he was at Ferrari, of course, was basically saying it was a five-second stop-go penalty for signs to then correct him 
And then after that, we had the old kerfuffle with the strategy where signs, and, and, I've, and I've got this here. I was watching the highlights because, you know, the best thing about being a Ferrari fan when you're preparing for a podcast like this, ladies and gentlemen, is you get to watch the race back to make notes. And it's so wonderful when uh, the race turned out the way that it did if you're a Ferrari fan. So you had to watch it all over again. But this is how it went down on lap 40. I'm going to quickly read through this. So basically, Sainz said on the radio, he can't pass Perez. Ferrari then tell him they're going to move to plan D. That's right, D for Delta. Plan D. Plan, plan D. D. <laughs> it wasn't E this week, it was D, which seems to uh, to be to pit signs for mediums and try to recover P5 and get the fastest lap. Ferrari then tells signs that the others are not stopping again. So signs says, okay, let's stop. But then Ferrari say on that 41 to stay out. Signs is then... 10 seconds later, alongside Perez at Labuse, and then battles in through Sector 3. By then, Ferrari tells Sainz to box. Sainz then replies, not now, not now, then overtakes Perez into the final corner and through Turn 1 on the next lap. Sainz then expresses his frustration at the team on the radio for trying to distract him whilst he's trying to pass Perez. Then... <laughs> He pits on lap 42 after he's passed Perez and Russell is fighting him and they have their incident, then eventually recovers from P9 on fresh mediums of P5 and gets the fastest lap. All that's going on. Signs whether he'd have got a podium or not today, I'm not sure. I'm kind of, I feel like Ferrari sort of did make the right call for safety reasons, but the way things played out, it could have been P3 today. I guess what I'm trying to say, guys, is right now in a team that's meant to have the best and brightest minds and race strategists that money could buy in and that Italy has to offer, if you like, or anywhere else that works at Ferrari. And it seems right now, the best race strategist that Ferrari have is Carlos Sainz. So uh, based on that, guys, what a mad race for Carlos Sainz. So how did you rate his day, Lee? Uh, it was a really good drive from Carlos. He may not have the outright speed that Charles seems to have, although you could argue Carlos was actually the fastest driver uh, out of the Ferrari drivers this weekend. I mean, he had the penalty, which didn't help. Um, but he, he, if he wasn't for the penalty, he would have had a shot for the race win for sure. But it was just, a, a, he, he's very consistent in delivering the speed. Or admittedly, earlier in the season, he was very consistent at ending up in gravel traps. But at least he was consistent about it. Um, but <laughs> he's... It was just a really solid drive. And I reckon if it had gone slightly better for Ferrari, a podium was achievable. Admittedly, I think the reason he got the, obviously the unsafe release was because everyone was coming into the pits at the time. And it's like, he's just sitting there having that long stop. And it's like, if you follow the rules, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to last. So well, I think, it was, I think it was a delay on the out. right front, wasn't it? And then there was, was an it? issue. After yeah, it was, it was a bit slow. The, yeah, it was a bit slow. And then I think the front jack went down the rear. Jack was still attached okay. for whatever reason. So they could have put him out early if they got it right. But again, it's just yeah. more... And this is a team that's got that's probably had the best pit stops this year. So for that mm. to happen to them right in that moment was just typical Ferrari, really. You thought you could rely on them for that at least. But no, unfortunately, not this time. Yeah. Do you know what? To summarise Ferrari's weekend, if you didn't have the, the penalties that Carlos Sainz had to because of Ferrari's reliability issues... Ferrari had the pace this weekend to finish 1-2. Based on the raw pace of the car and the form of their drivers, Ferrari had the ability to have a 1-2. Instead, they're going away with a DNF and a fifth-place finish. And that is all you need to know about how Ferrari have been operating this season. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, let, let us know your thoughts on that one, guys. I, I thought this was one of the best weekends that Sainz has had for Ferrari in terms of his own individual performance. But, you know, and it could have been more. It could have been so much more from this weekend. But hopefully that's a good sign of things to come. Uh, Roy I do was want just, to add yeah. quickly, Adam, is Sainz once again proves that he can call the strategy as he has done multiple races. Oh, no, but this, this, this is what I mean. Like the, I was saying earlier that all this proved today was that Sainz was Ferrari's best race strategist. But he's the guy that should be driving the car and focusing on that. Like they have a team hide of, and I know they have a hard job, but it's like Paul DeResta said on commentary today for Sky F1. It's like they're all busy looking at the calculators, trying to work out the strategy, whilst they're not watching what's going on on the track where he's alongside Perez down the back straight, trying to get P3. And then obviously what happens behind him with George Russell and Perez, but you know, that's neither here nor there. And we'll talk yeah. about that in a moment. But let's move on to Red Bull. Because I'm, I'm aware of time, we're going to get sidetracked talking about Ferrari for about an hour or so. We don't want to do that. <laughs> as fun as that would be. And I'm sure you guys would love to hear that. But um, Red Bull, um, there's not really much to say about Max Verstappen today. I mean, this weekend, he he knew where he was quick. He obviously learned lessons from what happened in Australia. Looked much more a complete package this weekend compared to last time out. And, you know, Max did the job. He pitted early. It was a gamble. I think Red Bull were trying to go for the two-stopper, as it were. Uh, I think everybody um, that other than signs that pitted twice did a one stop that finished the Grand Prix today and everyone else was sort of falling down the order on the two stoppers. So the one stop seemed to be the way to go. He made the tyres last. Some people were thinking, is Hamilton going to be a f- fixture in this race for the win? I wasn't so convinced that he was purely because I think Max was just managing the tyres as well as he could. And he didn't need to push. I think he had the race in the bag. So 63 point lead right now. Definitely driving in my opinion um so much better this year in terms of how he's managing his races the speed is there every single weekend it's very rare as an off one i mean is it too early to say now that max for Verchamp- uh, sorry max verstappen um is very much going to become a two-time world champion by december or maybe earlier than that uh it's barring a minor miracle um i i think this is fully Max Verstappen's and Red Bull's championships to lose. I think, to be honest, the, the scenes on the podium from not only uh, Max, but from the team watching from below, they look bored. As like, they, they, they was always looking at each other like, that was too easy. It was, it was like, it was, it was like, you know, in football, when you've got like a team chasing uh, the Premier League title, like coming up against a mid-table team that's already on the beach. That's what it was like. It was a, it was a stroll in the park for Red Bull today. You know, apart from uh, Sergio Perez's issues, it was all too easy for them. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, let's talk about Perez whilst we're on this subject. Uh, Lee, I'll bring you into this one as well. Um, I mean, Perez just really wasn't on it at all this weekend, was he? He was off the pace. Um, he hasn't really taken to these new upgrades in the same way that Max has. Um, I know some people saying that Perez took a while to get these upgrades compared to Max, but for whatever reason... Perez since Silverstone has really started to fall off the boil a bit um, in terms of performance to his teammate. Is that something that Red Bull should be concerned about? Uh, maybe not this season, but because uh, they look like they've got both championships in the bag right now, but uh, perhaps in years to come. Yeah, I it just, yeah, just obviously every driver has their bogey track where they just can't perform well. You could argue that Paul Ricard may be one of Sergio's, but you could also, uh, although Red Bull have denied it, you could also argue that the car has been developed towards Max because Max is their lead driver. Rebel have denied they haven't done that, but we know Rebel have done it in the past that they developed the car towards Sebastian Vettel over Mark Webber. So 
although they denied that at the time. Oh, I'll, I'll Mark, bet every penny. Mark said it, it was. Yeah, I will bet every case. penny that I have that they've developed that they developed this car with Max's interests in mind, especially yeah. given how close they were. And of course, that's a great thing, but they need to give their number one yeah. driver every opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm just don't no, know why but it's hindering a number two driver. Yeah, of course, uh, of course. Anyway, um, so the problem they've. Rebel had recently is they couldn't get a number two driver that was close to Max because the car was too suited to Max, and they always always complain, oh we can't get a driver that's good enough, we can't get a driver that's good enough, and they're like, oh well done Sergio, well done Sergio, yeah. And now it's going, oh you're not really good enough anymore Sergio because they're doing it again and putting the car towards Max and the drivers really aren't on the same quality as Max and they can't deliver because it's too, too it's too styled for Max, so they're making their own problem for the number two driver. Yeah, I mean, what and is it with they're this not driving learning. style? Yeah, another C, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it should be making it drivable for both drivers, not just one, because that's how you maximise your points as a team and not just as a driver. Well, um, they've not had to worry about that, have they? Because Ferrari yeah. are completely capitulated every <laughs> other week and Mercedes right now just <laughs> yeah. don't have the speed. I mean, they are a nuisance. Um, Roy just made a good comment saying if Mercedes had done a better job on Lewis's pit stop, he could have come out in front of Max. I mean, yeah, but I've... Perez, well, Perez couldn't catch Lewis. Max might have had some trouble, but um, that would have been interesting to see. But you, you're right, you're right. It's just, for whatever reason, Perez now is starting to slip away a little bit. And I'm wondering if Red Bull needs to address that sooner rather than later, or if they feel that, well, given the way the championship's going, they probably won't mind as long as Max is still doing what he does. Do you reckon that might have something to do with the characteristics of this Red Bull, though? Because, you know, as you said about Ferrari, you know, they're, they're a plug-in ready car. Whereas we see with Red Bull, like they have a lot more difficulties with their setup and you know it, it does back up the theory that maybe the car is leaning more towards max because Sergio Perez is a master of tire preservation we've always made it very you know we've always been very uh what's the best way to describe it complimentary of Sergio Perez you know of how good he is with the tires yet today he seemed to be awful with tire preservation compared to his teammate obviously max had it easy being at the front you know Perez had battles both in front and behind him that does play apart but it does seem that Red Bull are struggling with a setup and with the development going towards Max maybe we're going to see more weekends where Sergio Perez is struggling because they struggle to find that sweet spot with a setup well this is it I mean when do you ever hear Sergio Perez complaining about his tyres hardly ever I mean he might have said one or two things today uh, we didn't really hear much of Perez's radio until George Russell came into the mix and that was quite a fun little battle between the two um Obviously, ultimately, Russell did get Perez quite cleverly with the virtual safety car. Now, there's an interesting theory on this, actually. I do want to run past you both. Apparently, um, and this is uh, taken from, uh, so I'm read the Twitter handle, F1 subreddit on Twitter. Uh, shout out to them for this. They claim that Race Control had sent out two virtual safety car ending messages, which caused Perez to increase his speed too early and then which caused him to get caught out by having to slow down again before the green flags. And they, I kind of understand where he's coming from with this, or, or she, I'm not sure. Um, because there was a phase going up to scene corner um, after, what was it, turn 9, 10, 11, up to scene corner before Labusi. And um, I love that corner name, by the way. I'm just saying it a lot on this <laughs> podcast, I realise why. Um, but <laughs> Perez had pulled away a lot from George. And they were battling each other going into turn eight. There was a little bit before the virtual safety car. It looked like they were fighting each other. And I'm thinking, why are they battling each other? They can't overtake now. So I feel like there might be some truth to this because, of course, it slowed it right down again. 
Russell eventually caught up to Perez when they're obviously adjusting their delta. And then Russell, you know, caught him napping when eventually they did get go racing again. So maybe there's some truth in that and that um, Red Bull might have a few questions for the FIA about what they were doing there because it kind of played a part in cost. Well, in a way, it kind of played a part in cost in that position. I read something similar to that, Adam, where normally after the VSC ending, it's a 10 to 15 second window to a green flag, but it was actually a minute uh, between the ending to complete. Um, And what the article that I read was that they had a technical issue and had to restart the VSC ending process, which is why it was a minute instead of 10 to 15 seconds. Um, And if they have different systems or the cars receive the message at a different time, Christian's going to inquire with the FIA <laughs> regarding what happened because obviously it caught, it cost Sergio, and um, obviously some clever driving from George. But if George was notified slightly earlier because of different systems, or that obviously gives George an advantage because he had prior knowledge. I don't know, but it do, I do think it's likely there was some uh, technical issue with the VSC ending. Yeah, I wouldn't mind being a part of the FIA stewards panel if Christian did that. I'd probably be tempted just to sit there and go, Christian. We gave you a world championship last year. I think you can <laughs> this one slide. Anyway. That's not enough. That's <laughs> now, look, of course. For I'm st- married to a Spice Girl, have you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, do you know what? I think he's done rather well for himself just on that alone. Anyway, enough about Christian Horner's personal life, as perfect as it does seem. Lucky bastard. Anyway, let's, let's move on. Um, to the incident between Russell and Perez. Of course, not the overtake, the incident where Russell attempted an overtake at turn eight, uh, which saw the two sort of collide, but Perez ended up avoiding the incident and went off. Um, What did you guys think of this one? Because I'm going to put my neck on the line, and I think even though George Russell, um, and and I'll admit I was wrong about the Austria incident because I said it was Russell's fault. I was wrong on that because I looked back on it afterwards and Perez gave him absolutely no room. He just turned on on him. This time, however... I think George was a little bit overzealous under breaking with the dive bomb. And I think that's what caused the little touch and forced Perez to go wide. So I don't think George had any right to really complain about Perez going off the circuit. Um, what did you guys make of that incident? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of adrenaline rush from George Russell. I think the Sadies have been dreaming of uh, racing against a Red Bull or a Ferrari all season. And, you know, he's seen a, uh, George Russell seen a, Red Bull right in front of him. He's like, this is our chance. This is a time to be a hero. And I think that's what it was. I just think he, he wanted to get the overtake on the Red Bull, make a statement for the rest of the season. And I, I think that's what it was. I just think he's a little bit um, too eager. And luckily, nothing too serious came from it because, you know, it would have ruined a great race for himself and the team if that had gone horribly wrong. So, yeah, I think. But you don't want to take away a, a great performance from George Russell this weekend. But that was a little bit silly from him. Yeah, uh, I knew this would come up. Uh, Perpetual Richard said, so you mean Max did not deserve to win last year? No, I am not saying that. Max did deserve to win the World <laughs> Championship. I knew that was going to come up. No, I am not disputing the result. I'm just saying it's quite funny if Christian moans about the FIA getting involved and, che- you know, messing around with things that affect the result. You know, a bit funny coming from him if that was the case. Look, it's all hypothetical banter and all that, you know. Anyway. I'm going to leave it there. And if anyone else comes in with that <laughs> comment, just rewind it back into that point and then we'll move on. Uh, I knew that was going to happen as soon as I made the joke. Anyway, I think Ted Kravitz, he does this on a weekly basis. He uh, refers to this uh, the Abu Dhabi incident all the time. And everyone yeah. loves him. So I think, you know what? So, so be it. But Ted does Ted. He's an absolute national treasure, that man. Anyway, Lee, what, what were your thoughts on that one? Because as I said, I think, you know, a bit overzealous. 
Um, I was kind of rewinding this a few times because I wanted to make sure I was kind of right in my assumptions. Perez did leave George just enough room on the inside and he was ahead at the apex around the outside and in the rules, you've got to give the guy space on the outside and, and there was no way both of them were going to make the corner because of how far Russell, uh, well, how deep he went into the corner under brakes. Yeah, I, I I think he was being overzealous and as you just said, it's even if George view was the actual correct, he didn't leave any racing room for Sergio. So if he was... Um, he forced Sergio off the track. So in in that sense, so the, if he was like, oh, you should get the place back, the stewards could have gone. You forced him off the track. You got a penalty again. So uh, he was too. He was too keen. But well, obviously, you don't want to criticise him for trying because he had to try. But the point of where he had to get the place back was no. You've it was just over overzealous, but you you didn't pull it off. Don't don't get free going. And as Toto said, go and chase him, and he did. Yeah, yeah. It, it says a lot when Toto has to get on the radio to just yeah. get their guy. And, and more often than not, that usually works. Um, and maybe George was driving with a sense of injustice in him and it willed him to do what he did. And it was very shrewd and very clever what he did to get past Perez in the end. It just shows how George Russell really is a man uh, with maturity beyond his years and could prove to be a real, real force when he's got the car underneath him to win races and fight for world championships right now, which seems with Mercedes doesn't seem to be too far away. Let's move on to Mercedes. Now we talked a lot about George already. So I think we're going to focus on just Sir Lewis in this regard. And uh, I mean, what a great performance from Sir Lewis Hamilton. He was strong in qualifying, um, strong pace throughout the race, got a great start, managed to get up to P3. Obviously, didn't really have the pace of Max and Charles, although he was matching them towards the end of that opening stint. Um, and he was keeping Max Verstappen pretty honest and was probably pretty comfortable in P2, minus the fact that you pointed out to me, Courtney, after the race, that Lewis uh, did not have the drink. So to be in yeah, very hot sweltering conditions. So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, what a great job from Sir Lewis. Fourth podium in a row, his 300th race start, only the sixth driver in Formula 1 to do so, could become the first driver to win a Grand Prix after starting 300 of them. That's certainly on the cards. So, uh, yeah, great day for Sir Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I think this is the kind of performance from Lewis that silences the people that throughout the Mercedes dominance, you know, you had this, the same old people that would never give him the credit he deserves and say, oh, Lewis is only winning because of the car. They would never look back to the times where he, he would be winning milk floats at McLaren between 2009 and from the moment he left. He, he was winning races in cars he had no right to win races in. And the way he's been performing with this car, that isn't a race-winning car, but he's been getting the maximum results out of, the, out of this Mercedes from the moment that the porpoising has been dealt with. Because it, Lewis was saying it, when people were saying, Lewis Hamilton, finished driver, washed driver, he was saying, and George was saying as well, that their experimenting was set up in order to figure out the issues with the car. And that's why you saw Lewis being below the level that you usually expect from him. Since the porpoising has been sorted we're seeing the consistency from Lewis where he's been in and around the podium ever since and I just feel that these kind of drives where are you people where are the people that have been saying that Lewis can only perform well in a good car he's been performing in an average car for the last three four races now yeah I mean he's certainly he's going from strength to strength he's found his mojo I mean we can all agree that Lewis was not uh so Lewis was not starting as the season as well as he would have liked um but you know over time Got a bit more comfortable with the car, the porpoising issue, whether Mercedes were putting it on a bit for the sake of this new TD or whatever, I don't know. I'm not going to add a comment onto that. It's just what some people have been saying. 
But now that that's not an issue for them, these upgrades are starting to work. They're getting faster. They're, they're incredibly efficient. I think it must be said from race to race. They're optimizing their results fantastically. And George Russell, again, another top five finish this season in a race that he's actually finished. This incredible consistency. So this is it now. This is Mercedes on the rise. All they seem to need right now is a car that's capable of winning races. That's the only missing ingredient. And perhaps that could come sooner rather than later. Maybe in a few weeks' time after the summer break, we might be seeing Mercedes in the mix. They look like they're getting closer. Yes, this is a track which complements their strengths more than others in the same way Silverstone did or, or Spain did. But the signs are there. So... Um, Lee, what did you make of uh, Sir Lewis's performance today? I mean, Courtney and I pretty much summed it up. But anything you wanted to add? Oh, it was a it was a very good drive. Uh, merely that start really was impressive. Um, how he just flew off the line, and he within like ten meters, he was already ahead of Sergio. Obviously, I don't know the exact measuring distance, but just how quickly he got past Sergio off the line. That was a really impressive start. Which not Lewis's starts aren't always his strongest point of his skill set so that was a really good start for him it was just an, an, a good steady Lewis driver managing his tyres he he knew he wasn't really in the fight for the lead although never say never with Lewis um, but you got a feeling although I, Mercedes do not have a race winning car just yet but it's it's almost like a checking tick box exercise P3 yeah got that P3 got that P3 P2 tick and it's that it's a steady increment and you're seeing it and it's like how long until that P1's ticked for the year and it's yeah. like checklist done yeah well done um, so it's Lewis is got his Mojo Dakar stable and he's he's enjoying the different challenge of being the underdog which for so, so many days of his McLaren career what well, he was the underdog and he it's, it's a challenge that Lewis enjoys being the underdog yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, look, 40, 44 points behind Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship right now, which of course is an interesting coincidence, uh, being the same number as Sir Lewis Hamilton on his car. Um, given the way things are going right now, if Mercedes find a bit more performance owned to this new technical directive or improve on their car a little bit better than the Ferrari, there is a chance, and they're saying, you know, still there, but there is a chance where they may get P2 in the Constructors' Championship. Um so we'll have to watch out for that. Certainly is one that's going to be very, very interesting right now. And Ferrari, whilst they're still focused on Red Bull and sort themselves out, they can't overlook Mercedes. Because whilst arguably I would say that I don't think... Ferrari and Mercedes haven't really dueled much this year. No. You know, we had Russell and Sainz that moment there. Um, but obviously, ultimately, Sainz did have the pace. He had the better car underneath him. We haven't really seen much of it. It's been more Perez fighting the Mercedes and Lewis keeping Max honest at best. So... We'll be interesting to see how that sort of goes down in the second half of the season. I mean, for what it's worth, I think Hungary should be a Ferrari slam dunk win, but yeah. we know, <laughs> it's Ferrari. They'll find a new way on the roulette wheel to mess this up, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, on a separate topic, um, I want to talk about the French Grand Prix in general. I mean, I enjoyed the, ra the race today. The race last year was pretty good. You know, so certain criticisms of the track not being designed to have great races or the races are boring. I think that's kind of fallen away as these cars have improved in terms of um, following each other and overtaking. I think that's a great testament to the new rules. But um, the future of the French Grand Prix, very much in doubt. Despite the incredible atmosphere that we saw today, lots of French flags, lots of noise, lots of cheers and that. And it was a beautiful summer's day as well. So it had all the ingredients for a great Grand Prix 
and a great venue, but it's certainly at risk. And I think Sky Germany were the ones and others in the know claiming that the French Grand Prix or Spa, as we already alluded to in our short Courtney's Corner, check that out if you follow us on TikTok, uh, by the way, neither of them are appearing on the provisional F1 calendar for 2023. We had Eric Boulier, who you might remember, former team principal at McLaren and Renault as well. Um, he was unsure because he manages the French Grand, uh, the Paul Ricard circuit. Um, he's the sort of lead head, if you like, on the on the board of that. He was unsure whether or not he would be on the calendar next year. He did say, however, that uh, Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, did say that it deserved to be on the calendar. So with all that in mind, guys, looking likely at the moment that we may not have a race in France next year as well as Spa, what are your thoughts on this? Would you be sad to see Paul Ricard be removed from the calendar after a couple of races where it's actually started to deliver some good racing? Well, yeah, the races have been getting better, bit slowly but surely. You know, we saw a big crowd there. It's not like people aren't turning up for the race. And I'm just, I'm just worried that we're starting to slowly but surely lose more and more European races. Yeah, you know what I'm all for? We discussed it, you know, with the uh, Las Vegas Grand Prix, Miami Grand Prix, that there should be more like of um, American representation in the sport. But look, the heart of Formula One is in Europe. That's the reality of it. And if we start seeing the European races getting, you know, taken off one by one, I just feel that F1's sort of losing up the heart, the core of this season. And it's just for the purest of the sport. I just don't think that'd be good to see at all. Well, half the races on the calendar right now are based in Europe. So it does still have that European core. I totally agree with you. And I know some of us probably look at races that are coming on the calendar. Obviously, we've got the Qatar race next season. We've got Vegas, as you mentioned, which, of course, that's going to be one party in its own right. And obviously, some other additions that they're looking for, a second race in China, although they've got to get the first one back on the calendar at some point. So it does make you wonder where these sort of races are going to fit. And and obviously, we've heard Monaco Grand Prix. that The negotiations for that race seem to be going rather well. So maybe that's the one that gets kept owing to two other races where I think a lot of fans probably will look at that and think, well, we're getting rid of Spa, we're getting rid of France, or Paul Ricard, and we're keeping Monaco. Where's the sense in that? Uh, What are your thoughts, Lee? Yeah, uh, well, firstly, on the French Grand Prix, obviously we haven't had, uh, for many years, we haven't had the uh, French Grand Prix since Maggie Cour. So that was a missing venue um and you think of the actual history associated to formula one grand prix racing it it comes from france there's in grand prix Mm. is the big prize so you're throwing away part of that history if we don't have it so it is a shame that if if we lose that and obviously today stefano democratic would love to have more than 25 races numbers of like 30 races have been thrown around in the at some point, obviously, drives and teams, that's a different discussion, which I'm not going to get into. But it is a shame to lose some of the, not that uh, Paul Card is a historic circuit like Spa, but the heritage that comes with a bit of Grand Prix in France. It is a shame, too, that we're having, having that conversation because it was such a big excitement when Paul Ricard came back to Canada. Oh, we're having a Grand Prix in France again. That All that heritage we, we've got, and we're losing it a few years later. And it's it's just disappointing. Yeah, um, yeah. And Monaco, I mean, yeah, I'd rather have, out of the three, I'd rather have Spa, mm. personally. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm true. totally with you. Absolutely <laughs> with not, you, yeah. Let's not forget, guys, we've already lost Germany. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't really think people are too worried about losing Germany too much. I think obviously we've had Germany on and off. Um, we ain't had it on the calendar for a few years now. And no, no, but that's to, still one since, of the, yeah. you know, you think about like the, the, the European sort of heart of the sport. You know, you're, first of all, we lost Germany, which is, you know, we've got ties with Mercedes and other manufacturers that have been a part of the sport, intrinsic to the sport for years. We lost Germany, and now we're going to potentially lose Spa and France. There's a bit of a trend building here, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, I, I think we're just going to get into a habit where this is going to be races on rotation. I mean, look, F1 looks like it's going to be incorporating Kailami in South Africa next year, which is obviously fantastic. I think F1 good. needs yeah. to come back to Africa. I'm amazed mm-hmm. that it's taken this long. Uh, I think it was like since the, what was it, the 80s or 90s since we had a race in Kailami so long ago. But... Um, yeah, but yeah, just seeing in the comments on this one as well. Um, obviously, Paul Ricard, Luke saying Paul Ricard for him is an awful track compared to Magni Cours. Look, I loved Magni Cours. I thought it was a great little track, but um, the problem is, is that it's a little track. Modern day F1 cars would be useless at Magni Cours. Yeah. Um, it would just be too narrow. So nobody would enjoy it now with these modern cars. But um, let's move on back to the race results and let's talk about the great battle we had today between Alpine and McLaren. Now, I think it's amazing and in a way funny when you look at this that Alpine obviously had a much better car than McLaren for a lot of races, but because of reliability troubles and issues that Fernando Alonso's points, he just couldn't rack them up. His performances were sublime, but he just couldn't rack up the points for one reason or another. Um, And and that got to a point where it was sort of capitalising on McLaren's misfortune and catching up with them. Whilst they had a few standout results, obviously Norris had a podium uh, this season as well. Um, was it? Was it I'm trying to think what race it was that he had the podium? Um, oh, memory's gone blank on this one. Anyway, lot remind me in the chat or if you guys know, let me know. Um, but obviously Norris has a podium this season, uh, so some big points there. Now that they're both dead, well, they were both dead level. All of a sudden, McLaren put some upgrades on their car, which have been long overdue, and they're racing Alpine again. So if you're Alpine, you're probably sick as a parrot think of the prospect now you're going to have a battle against McLaren where it looked like you had them beat it was just a matter of time but what a great battle it was ultimately it ended Alpine having the final say today Alonso finishing ahead of Norris who finished ahead of Ocon who finished ahead of Ricardo. but uh, that was some really fun stuff between those two teams today yeah I think if you have a look in the midfield you you, you can't argue against Fernando Alonso and Lando Norris have been the stars of the midfield you know, I just think Fernando Alonso has been like a real breath of fresh air for that midfield battle. And I just think it's just that element of confidence in his driving like on the radio when he was saying, you know, he's getting warned that Lando Norris is getting close. He went, let him get close. I'll destroy his tyres. And this has the confidence in his defensive driving, which we know is probably one of Fernando Alonso's biggest strengths. And again, it just highlights how well he's driving this season. So if we were to do like a half-term report, and if you refuse to ask me who the star pupil is in the midfield, it would definitely be either Fernando Alonso or Lando Norris. Well, it's funny you should cite the defensive driving because there was a point halfway through the race where um, they were sort of like Alonso was ahead of Norris, ahead of Ricardo, ahead of Ocon at the time. And I think Alonso was on the radio talking to the team and they were updating him on Norris's lap times and Alonso was going a bit That's slower. Right. And he said on the radio, and yeah. I think I got this right, oh, I'm deliberately going a bit slower that's so right. I can cook Norris's tyres behind me yeah. to help his team. And I thought... And that's a confidence. I just love that. Hearing that from Fernando Alonso, that he's thinking about that. You're thinking, he must have s- some balls of steel to ki- with the DRS and everything else obviously being so powerful at this circuit, despite the difficulties in overtaking at times, that um, he's able to keep enough of a gap 
where he can manage Norris behind him. He would obviously try to overtake him at a moment's notice if he could and try to cook his tyres so that it keeps him behind. And ultimately, it worked out for him in the end. It was just some brilliant stuff to see. And of course, we had some great battles with Ocon and Ricardo. Ocon obviously getting the advantage over him. But Ricardo, a good race from him. You know, he was only a tenth of his teammate in qualifying in the race. He was good there. So I think McLaren will be pretty happy with that as well. Despite coming out second best against Alpine, it's good to see both of their drivers are in this fight. At least they were this weekend. Uh, Lee, what, what did you think? Uh, it was. I was going to say, yeah, it was an actual good race weekend from Daniel. He's very close to Lando in performance throughout the entire weekend, which is good to see. I hope it's a glimmer of recovery for Daniel. Uh, it's not just a, a, a Monza one-off for the year. Are you referring to his win last year? Um, so it is a really encouraging performance from Daniel. So I really hope that he can build some momentum and confidence in, in the car now. Hopefully these upgrades may have helped resolve some lingering issue Daniel's had with the car all year. So obviously wait and see how that he delivers in Budapest. But it was nice to see that Daniel's still there. We know Daniel's still there. He hasn't forgotten how to drive. It's just, I just wanted to have Daniel back at being the best he can because he's just so yeah. enjoyable to watch when he's delivering. Yeah, I mean, he seems defiant as ever, but uh, you just got to give him the car and the package that he's comfortable with, and hopefully the results will just deliver themselves. Yeah. Um, Courtney, did you want to add on that with Ricardo? Yeah, I, I saw a comment, I can't remember if it was online or on the build-up to the race. Um, you know, there's been a lot of criticism towards Dan Ricardo. I've, I've been one of them. And someone made a comment, and they said, "Could are we being a bit too harsh on Daniel? Could the, you know, could it be more of a case of how well Lando Norris is doing with a car that is, is good enough? Just making Daniel look worse rather than the other way around because I actually I think we've been very quick to criticise Daniel. Not not saying anyone, like, I'm just saying like the fan base in general, being quick to have a go about Daniel when actually maybe we should be giving Lando Norris more pra- even more praise for the results he's been getting in that McLaren because it clearly, in big sections of the season, has clearly not been good enough. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I would very much agree with that. I think, yeah, I mean, I suppose you can say don't sort of sleep on Lando Norris in this regard. Don't overlook him yeah. because he's been driving very, very well. And sometimes that's all you can do. You can only be compared to your teammate. And we're talking about a guy yeah. like Daniel Ricciardo who for years has always been a driver that's capable of winning races. We know he's a known entity in that regard. He's one of the most popular, if other than Sir Lewis Hamilton, probably the most popular driver on the grid worldwide. So, yes. you know, yeah, that's, that's it. And I, I just feel like you have to sort of take that into account, really. It's a hard one, really, because there have been times when he's been on right with Lando, as he was this weekend, beating him on the odd occasion. And there have been most weekends where he's been completely off the pace and nowhere near it. So it's kind of hard to judge right now. But hopefully, hopefully, this is the start of uh, a bit of a purple patch where we'll see Daniel more in that fight than not in this case. So hopefully that goes for him. Um, Just a quick word on Ocon. Obviously a little bit fortunate this weekend because uh, had a little bit of an incident with Yuki Tsunoda where he sort of went into him again, a bit overzealous clipped the curb at turn eight, went into the side of Sonoda, which pretty much wrecked his race, got a five-second penalty, but uh, managed to recover it So uh, to get into P8 today. So a little bit fortunate for him, but also a little bit naughty as well. I don't feel there's really much deliberation on who did what, really. It was a clear slam-dunk penalty for Rock on in that regard. Uh, let's talk about Aston Martin. Now, uh, Aston, actually, no, quick word. 
before we move on to Aston, Mar- Aston Martin, uh, congratulations are in order for Fernando Alonso. Today, he became the driver that's travelled the longest distance in a Formula 1 career, um, passing Kimi Raikkonen. So very impressive for him. Haven't got the actual kilometres, I'm afraid. So we'll have to, uh, if we do get that at some point, I'll try and update you on that one another time. But let's move on to Aston Martin, who incidentally were also in a celebratory mood they were celebrating 100 years of racing in motorsport from 1922 to 2022 today 100 years for them so congratulations for them and they celebrated it with a point and a feisty little battle between Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel which got a little bit tasty towards the very end of the race with Lance Stroll seemingly brake checking his teammate or at least trying to park the bus quite literally to stop him overtaking him at the end and uh what did you guys make of that one? It was a bit cheeky, wasn't it? He brake tested me. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awkward if Seb pulled alongside him and drove into him the same way he did with Sir Lewis. Bear in mind, this is the boss's son. Um, although, uh, Vettel, is he really bothered if he gets the sack, given no. this could be his final year? I'm, I'm pretty sure he's probably not even that bothered. Oh, yeah, have you seen the way Sebastian Vettel's been going about himself the last year? I don't think he'd give uh, two flying Fs to be honest. Um, and I, I think that's what we find really refreshing about Sebastian Vettel since he's, uh, you know, sort of down for Ferrari. But yeah, it was a little bit naughty from Stroll. I've, 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 look, with Lance Stroll, he, he's fully aware that he's sort of one of the drivers that's sort of under pressure to deliver. So look, we've been saying it even in this episode, you know, your, your teammates sort of the first reference you look at. So, you know, finishing ahead of Seb, a four-time world champion, is always a good look, isn't it? So I think he was just a bit too king. It surely can't be happening again. I think there'll be a few words in the uh, in the dressing room afterwards. But yeah, it can't be happening. It's not a good look, is it? It's not a good look. No. I just uh, find um, it interesting that Lance Stroll has this amazing ability to be absolutely nowhere in a race, and then all of a sudden on the last lap, he sits in the points. Is it me, or is that just a thing? Because I, like he was nowhere in qualifying. It was like... P17 or something like that. Obviously, he went up to 15th once Magnussen and Sainz were put behind him, but he seemed like he was hardly in the fight today, and all of a sudden, everything kind of goes out, and he's fighting his teammate for a championship point on the last lap. I'm like, where does that come from? Yeah, there's very much Lance in how he actually delivers, um, but I was going to add, but it's 100 years, which is obviously good, but imagine how worse it could have been they're celebrating 100 years by having their their cars collide on the last corner on the last lap. What a celebration that would be. Oh, no, yeah, that would be... Uh, <laughs> literally picking up the pieces. Yeah. <laughs> You're literally having Seb Vettel picking up that old Aston Martin that he was driving with Johnny Herbert on the Sky F1 segment, try and go across the line in one of those. He'd probably prefer that to be. It looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I'm sure Aston Martin obviously wanted to celebrate this uh, century of racing in uh well being on a podium perhaps or being somewhere a bit nearer so for them it's it's a tough one really i mean maybe they're thinking about 2023 but um as we said before this is a team that's often been praised for having such great value for money and managing it and in a weird way the worst thing that's happened to them is the fact that um someone has come in and just thrown money at them and expecting it to bear fruit when it just doesn't work out that way in formula one so um we'll have to wait and see what happens also on the future of Sebastian Vettel as well. I have to keep an eye on that one. I mean, he seems he's in a good spirits, but you just never really know. I'm not even sure he knows yet whether or not. We might get an answer by the summer break with a bit of time to reflect on how this season's gone and what he wants to do going forward. Um, let's talk about Alpha Tauri. Bit of a nightmare day for them. Yuki mm-hmm. Sonoda 
qualified P8, looked very, very good. Gasly was not great. He was P16 until Sainz and Magnussen promoted him to P14. And um, yeah, Sonoda pretty much race wrecked by that incident with Esteban Ocon. Completely took him out of the race. A lot of floor and side pod damage ruined his race. And Pierre Gasly was fighting near the points towards the end of the race when he, before he had an incident with Alex Albon, which... Um, to be honest, guys, what did you make of that incident with Gasly and Albon? Because I just looked at it and I thought, I, I kind of thought that was on Gasly. I thought he kind of got it. He went in a bit too hot into clumsy. turn eight. Yeah, a bit clumsy. But then he got it right when he was fighting. Um, who did he overtake? I think it was trying to figure who he overtook for P14 now. I think it was Kevin Magnussen. Yeah, it must have been Kevin Magnussen, if I remember rightly. So, yeah, not the best weekend for him in front of his own crowd, unfortunately. I think another issue, you know, something that, another thing that we mentioned before coming on is how little coverage there was of the actual of the racing away from the top six or seven. Mm. There was barely any coverage. Like we heard, we heard cheers from the crowd, and then we see that like, there'd be like a a Haas or a or an AlphaTauri spinning, and that's all we really saw. So it's really difficult to sort of give like a detailed analysis of how these drivers did because there was such little. But then sounded like there wasn't really much action happening. It was yeah. actually a little bit of a possession at times. But I think for Alpha Tau in general, they seem to be the type of team, particularly these days, where they come flying out of the blocks in practice. You go, hello. They're going to be up there in the mix of qualifying. They might get like one driver in the top 10, but they just seem to falter more as the race weekend goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lee, Lee, what were your thoughts on Alpha Tau? I mean, again, it just promised so much. And. Uh... On a Sunday, as usually happens, it just always seemed to come up stuck one way or another. It's just a bit all over the place right now. You can't really rely on either one of their drivers or, or the car or anything. Yeah, I, I'd say it was obviously a disappointing performance, but I mean, for Yuki's part, it wasn't his fault. Um, so you can't really criticise him. But Pierre just seems to be underperforming recently for whatever reason, if it's the car, if he's not happy in his situation, current circumstances. It's just something's not quite working for Pierre and obviously it's hard to put the finger on what it is but we remember last year Pierre was on it and it's like oh Gasly's he's, wow what he's doing oh this is great great but it's just not achieving it this year um, and he's not maybe it's the car and he's just not comfortable delivering um, the, the results that he wants to and he knows he can do um, so it's such a shame um, and just to quickly on the coverage not, normally not always but when there's a home driver the, the local um, operator of the, the, the media for, for, from, from, they like to focus on the local races. You hardly saw any coverage of the French drivers. Mm-hmm. I and think uh, there was a good reason for that, though. I think that was yeah, because... Yeah, they weren't, very, they weren't winning. No, no, no. Well, it's not so much <laughs> that, but they were focusing on Charles Leclerc because they were saying like, well, yeah. well, it's not too far from Monaco. Yeah, he was, it's about a two-hour yeah, drive from hero, him. So yeah. he was like the local hero today. They completely yeah. forgot <laughs> about the actual French drivers. And just focus on the guy that was down the road instead of eh, close enough. Yeah, there, there was a bit of that, especially as Charles is in the championship fight. But it, I know I'm diverging a little bit, but not I'm not French. But you would have loved to have seen a bit more of your yeah, drivers yeah. in your French Grand Prix. But yeah, that's just an unrelated point. I just expanded from Courtney's point on the coverage. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's kind of the equivalent in a weird way of saying, oh, look, Andy Murray's winning the British Andy Murray is winning and then he loses and then he becomes Scottish again. It's kind of the same thing. It's like Charles Leclerc. The Charles Leclerc, French-speaking driver, only down the road, is winning the 
the French Grand Prix crashes, the Monegasque Charles Leclerc is out of the French Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, something along those vibes. But, um, yeah, disappointed for Alpha Tauri. Obviously, you're hoping for a bit more, but uh, those are the breaks sometimes. They've got to find a way to pull it out. Um, speaking of coverage, did anyone even notice that Valtteri Bottas was driving this weekend? See? Because I didn't. Exactly. The only nope. time I saw Valtteri, and he finished in, what was it, P13? I think I got him down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's qualifying, actually. Sorry, excuse me. Let me find his finishing position. Alfa Romeo have gone back to being good old vanilla. P14. So he lost the place um, <laughs> in the race to, I'm going to say Albon. We lost the place to a few people, actually. But yeah, P14 for Bottas. Joe, unfortunately, retired. He had a bit of an incident with Mick Schumacher where he kind of lost the rear of his car and hit Schumacher at Le, at Le Bousset. And I uh, love that corner name. I said it already on this show, but I actually love saying that. <laughs> we try and get Labuse in as much as possible. Um, but yeah, yeah, they collided and uh, it wrecked both of their races. Although, to be fair, Schumacher's race was kind of wrecked by the two-stopper anyway. Huss's race was ruined by that safety car. Really was. Um, but we'll talk about them in a minute. But yeah, Bottas, the coverage, didn't really see much of him this weekend. The only time I did see him was on a few occasions. Um, one, when um, just sort of on the uh, grid walk, he was talking to uh, Simon Lazeby about something. And then another one where he was in the journalist pen and he was wearing a bucket hat with Paul Ricard, one of the Paul Ricard bucket hats. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was in reaction to the George Russell meme. But then if you guys have seen this on social media, yeah. like George Russell was <laughs> the sort of guy to do this, all that. And Bottas just was absolute savage. And he said, George Russell's the sort of guy to go alongside you in the wet and Imola, try to overtake you, but crash into you and then go and blame you for it. It just sort of sitting there. I'm like, it's like Valtteri. <laughs> I mean, wow! But uh, that is literally my only memory of, of my only memories of Alfie this weekend. I do not remember seeing much of him driving, which is such a shame because he's been so good this year. But um, just sums it up really when it just yeah. was no interest in his in his well, race weekend. Clearly, it was the most his achievement for the weekend is the most successful burn of the weekend. Yeah. He has a few of them. He <laughs> has a few of them from time to time. Bottas, I must admit, you've got to keep an eye on him. He's a bit of a dark horse. That guy, you got to watch out for Valtteri <laughs> And, Sign uh, of the assassin. That's it. That's it. Sign of the assassin. This has been a testament to how well he's done this year. But this weekend, not his weekend. Same for Joe. Obviously, got uh, he had to retire towards the end, which obviously brought out the safe, uh, the virtual safety car. So uh, disappointing weekend for Alpha Tauri, who it does seem like they're starting to fall back a little bit. Um, I was looking yeah. at that uh, AMS graphic, whatever it is, the one. Um, the one that they show before practice where they see where everyone is in the development race and where their car performances. I have no idea how they work this out. But Alfa Romeo seem to be the team that have gone further back or furthest back from the lead car. And they seem to be uh, falling back towards Aston Martin and Williams at the moment. So some cause for concern, I'm sure, on their part. Let's talk about... Uh, who haven't we talked about yet? Let's talk about Haas. We already mentioned them. And uh, yeah, strange weekend. Mick Schumacher um, race was kind of ruined by qualifying, really. He had that track limits violation where he cut the corner at turn three. By his admission, he said that, well, I did sort of, but um, the FIA told him it was okay up until qualifying. So not sure what happened there. No one else seemed to be complaining about that issue in qualifying, but it caused him to fall out of qualifying early. Kevin Magnussen, by contrast, with the new power units. And uh, I think we can say that the new power units, the Ferrari ones, are very effective because Magnussen and Sainz were like rockets compared to their teammates with the new power units in. So they obviously yeah. played a part. Um, but Magnussen started at the back of the grid, had a great start, a bit lively. Both of them got bogged down by that safety car from Charles Leclerc because they both pitted early. 
Um, obviously looking to two-stop. Both pitted early. Then the safety car came out and it completely ruined their races for them. Mick Schumacher obviously getting caught up by an incident with Joe, which ruined his race a little bit. Um, and then Magnussen obviously having an incident with Latifi towards the end, which ruined his race, caused him to retire, which um, I'm not sure if this if the stewards have made a decision on this, but I did hear they were investigating after the race. I don't know if you guys saw this, the one with Latifi and Magnussen, I think it was lap 38. They went into no, turn. All, all, yeah. I, all, all I saw was a spin in Latifi and I was like, there you go, have a day. <laughs> Well, I mean, to break it down, I, I think if they're looking for blame, I think you've got to look at Latifi because he kind of ran quite wide into turn one. He was on the inside. Magnussen was on the outside of him, but Magnussen kept his car on the road. He was ahead at the apex, so he is entitled to the racing room. Um, and he kept it going. And uh, Latifi just kind of closed in on him in turn two. So I think it's going to be one of those where if they do hand out a post-race penalty or a grid penalty for Nick, it probably will be Latifi. But uh, that's my opinion on it. What did you make of it, Lee? Did you see it? Um, I got me. I didn't see that incident or um, oh, that one. How um, but dare it's not you ignore Gotifi? Sorry. <laughs> how dare you guys ignore Gotifi? I mean, he had the upgrades on, and uh, I mean, he wasn't running as well as Albon was, but um, seemed to be enjoying himself a little bit more in some battles and that. But ultimately, it uh, to no avail for him, and of course, it ruined uh, Hass's weekend as well. A team that were looking for a third race in a row to get double points, something they'd never managed before, and uh, it never really looked on the cards after qualifying, did it? No. That was a scruffy, scruffy weekend for them. Yeah, one of their worst weekends, unfortunately. But, you know, as I said, those are the breaks sometimes. It can be all on strategy. Uh, let's round it off with Williams. We talked about Latifi already. Alex Albon, not a bad weekend. Um, having a few little battles. Obviously, uh, had one with uh, Pierre Gasly when uh, Gasly did go into him a little bit when they were fighting for P11. But uh, Albon managed to keep it going. Um, Albon had, to, he had a scary moment in the pit lane with Carlos Sainz. He had to jump right on the brakes in the pit lane, didn't he? Um, yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, avoid a McLaren up, mechanic. Yeah, bit of danger. They avoided a McLaren mechanic. I mean, are the pit lanes a bit too small for modern day Formula One cars? What do you reckon? That might be the excuse to not have it. Uh, to not have it. Uh, 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 France next year. Maybe they say the pit lane's too small. Well, I mean, it's not I just there, it's, it's everywhere, it's, isn't it's, it? Yeah, but it's it's that it's down to the drivers, though, isn't it? I, I just think, you know, going back to the beginning of the episode, I just think what happened there with Carlos Sainz was a, just a little bit of frustration and miscommunication because of how the race was coming. Mm. It's down to the drivers. They, they you know, it's they're working within the limits that they're dealing with. Yeah, no, that's probably fair enough. Uh, Lee, what did you make of Albon's day? P13 in the end for him, so not quite good enough in the points, but... Uh, I mean, he's getting close, but Williams, they just don't seem to have the pace, really, to get him over the line, unless a lot of crazy things happen. And even Aston Martin, you know, despite their fallback, still seem to have an advantage over Williams right now. Yeah, it was a steady drive from Alex. He's obviously got a measure of um, Nicholas. Um, and so he, he's comfortable in that sense. And Williams is slowly moving forward, but at the same time, so is all the other cars around it, apart from Alpha. So they're... they're there's that, but yeah, it, the pit stop incident. That was that could have been so much worse. Thankfully, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, well, well done for Alex to avoid that. Yeah, very much so. But um, guys, of course, let us know what you think. Of course, if you are new to the channel, make sure to subscribe to the channel. We're chasing a thousand subscribers, and we need your help to get there. So, of course, if you haven't already, please do consider subscribing. It really, really means a lot to us for your continued support. Like the video as well. Helps us uh, reach new audiences that might want to 
jump in the chat and engage with you guys as well. And a lot of great comments in there as well that I can see a lot of back and forth, which is good stuff based on the topics that we've had. Of course, this is the time where we have to wrap things up. But uh, obviously, as always, um, as I've already plugged this, and of course, if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform, you can leave us a five-star review, of course, if you think we're worthy. But remember, if you're not listening to us on Apple or iTunes, you need to take a screenshot of you doing it and send it to us on our socials at Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And of course, we have TikTok now, where Courtney will be doing a special once a week called Courtney's Corner, where he will discuss some of the major talking points that are going on in the world of Formula One. So make sure to check that out on our TikTok. That's DNF1 underscore official on there as well. Or DNF1 dot official. It's one of the two. One of those two. Anyway, I digress. But uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you thank stay you safe. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.